0: Did he just? He, did he just pat me on the bottom? It's that kind of? Is that kind of church? This guy needs to be on the softball team, evidently. That was awesome. Um, real Timothy, uh, awesome that you just prayed that. You you, you prayed through like, <laughs> our church vision, literally like. Well, I saw you reading my journal before we came in. I was like, he must be the one that's praying. So you really just, it literally, no, you prayed through exactly our heart for the city of Verna. Which is, for really. Uh, so anyway, I'm Josh. Um, really glad that I get to be here. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about my story. Um, about two years ago, I found myself in a ministry where I was uh, really good at performance-based stuff. Um, I just always had been in a system that was... That bragged about the results in the ministry and wasn't necessarily about the heart of the ministry um, or caring for people. Um, not that that didn't happen, but for the most part, our conversations were about production. And so I knew my heart always wasn't that. I knew my heart wanted to have um, a ministry that like, people knew that when they left, they were loved fully and a part of the body. And I just didn't know how to do it. Like I, I hadn't seen models. And so... I started meeting and hanging out with Steve just because I heard about him through my brother. My brother was like, he is not like other pastors. And I was like, I'll meet with him. And so I started meeting with him. And I was just really honest with him about my struggles as a performance-based guy in ministry. We had a large youth ministry because that evidently is the most important thing is how big you can grow a ministry according to Jesus. Um, and so that was all I knew. But my heart knew otherwise. And so he started to help kind of draw out. I remember one day he was like, tell me, what do you want to see happen? And I was like... I just walked him through it and he's like, I don't know if you noticed, but ten times when you were talking, you said the word others. I was like, I didn't, I didn't notice that. Steve, what does that mean? And so he was like, God wants your ministry to be about other people. I was like, okay, that's awesome. So through a series of about a year, he helped us kind of come to some, some conclusions. And we were at a stage where we knew we needed to start making decisions because we're a, a family and I'm a guy that wants to like at the end of my life, look back and say, I know I did everything I was supposed to. Not out of performance, but I want, I want somebody to say of me at my funeral, he lived for Jesus his whole life, and he was a man after God's heart. I wasn't doing that. And so we sat down and talked. We prayed for three months. We fasted. We met with all these people that, were, that we trusted and came to the conclusion that God was calling us and telling us to leave ministry. And I was at a church. I was about to possibly become the associate pastor at a large growing church at Canton. So this was a big curveball. Like This meant no more money. Which everybody knows money helps live and eat. We like to eat. And then, um, like, all of my reputation, everything, you know, I kind of felt like I was the ministry guy that felt like once you did so good in this ministry, that meant you could have a bigger ministry, right? Because that was important. And so we sat in front of our pastor and I was like, Pastor, I'm... and respectfully, I feel like God's calling us to, to step away completely from ministry. So we did. A month into that, we walked into the doors of Riverstone Church, which is the originator Um, It's the daddy-mommy church of all the other churches, and we just, a year and a half of just straight-up healing for our family. We walked in the first day, and she was bawling. She's like, oh, they're home. I was like, I know. It's awesome. Uh, We are impacted so deeply by Riverstone that we're naming our church River City Church. There's cooler names. There's trendier names. It's going to be easier to have a graphic for, like, the Vortex Church in Atlanta, but we have been... We have been so moved by what happened in our hearts at Riverstone that we want we want to pay homage to that um, because it's it's been life changing. We want to serve Jesus now. We like to be around people. That's pretty big if you're in ministry. To me, ministry used to people used to get in the way of ministry. Like having to like slow down and love people meant that I couldn't get vision done. It's like come on guys, don't you know this is about vision? And so I just want to say thank you. Long story short. Um, and so we find ourselves here now, about to plant a church, which to me is maybe the funnest thing I've ever heard, and the most excited I've ever been about ministry, and, um, because we're doing it the right way. It, we're not trying to become the next church that has all the cool stuff, and the, we just want to love people. We want people to fall in love with Jesus, and we know that means that we go and serve people on a, on a level plateau, where there's a mutual honor in the community, and and so I just I thank you guys for letting us come here. Thank you for letting us speak to you. I do pray that if God wants you to come, that you would go. Um, I'm not ashamed to say that. One of my favorite things about our network, which we're all in this room, maybe you don't know a lot about the network, we're very lucky to be a part of this. There's not other churches that would stand up here and say what he just said. We want some of you to go. In fact, you would have a talk with a pastor after service. So you're trying to take who? And he'd be talking to somebody telling them because you were proselyting. And that is not acceptable. This is the most biblical version of church I've ever seen we send we send missional communities into other communities because it's not about building these giant cathedrals so we're all a part of that and i just i'm thankful and if you stay here i mean you're probably wrong for doing that but <laughs> i think jesus still loves you so just kidding I, I told myself the only group of people we don't want to come are people who are mad at their current place Which makes sense on a couple levels, but that's why actually most people leave churches, because they're frustrated because things aren't happening the way they should. But that's maybe the only reason you should stay, Um, if you're healthy. Because we're going to stand in front of Riverstone, and we're going to say, if you're healthy, you know, maybe it's time for you to be sent out. If you value what's here, take it somewhere else, you know. Anyway, I'm going to pray again, because there was an extended period of time in between prayers. And I'm going to just add another one. Father, we just ask that you would be here. Touch these guys and deposit in them, God, a spiritual gift. I do I pray, Ephesians too that you would unleash every spiritual blessing, God, which we know is not confined to finances. We're not that simple. We know that it means health and freedom and joy and your joy. Not the joy we feel, but the joy you have when you look at us. The Lord's joy. We ask for that to fill this room. In Jesus' name, amen. So once we started in this journey, I knew I had a hit an obstacle because um, maybe my view of Jesus was a little distorted. So the word obedience started to get tossed around because he was asking us to do big things. Like whenever he enters your life and asks you to do big things, it's important that you understand who he is. For me, obedience, just that word, it brings up times in my life where I was in trouble. Because you didn't hear the word obedience unless you were in trouble. I mean, because nobody's like, he's such an obedient boy, like nobody says that people are like don't you want to obey and then you get in trouble so for me like all throughout my childhood like the word obedience just awful I just knew something bad was about to happen because I wasn't obeying and so translate that into my my ministry and when Jesus starts to ask us to do big things and obey him it brought about two questions that I think are very important for everybody I mean everybody has to face these two questions who do you believe he is and do you trust him I'm going to say that slower. Who do you believe he is and do you trust him? And it's directly related to how you see him. And so for me, he wanted to take me through a season where he would cleanse some of that. Um, I've kind of always been one of those guys that felt like he was a little upset. He loves me, you know, like he loves me, but he's kind of upset. You know, I used to ask a question to people in the youth ministry. I'd be like, if God could tear the roof off this building And he'd point his finger down and land on your heart. What's the one phrase he would say to you? Overwhelmingly, almost everybody says something like this. He just wishes I would stop, enter, whatever. He just wishes I would do, enter, whatever. Nobody ever says he is immensely, passionately in love with me and he wants me to come. Nobody thinks like that. Because our views are so connected to how we perform, right? Like, how good we are at being what he's called us to be. And I love that he doesn't enter that relationship with us that way. That's how we want to enter. Like, when, when, especially in Pentecostal churches, I'm going a whole different route. We, like, we get excited and, like like, toddlers go crazy for Jesus, like, throwing food all over the walls, like... Don't even know how to take our diapers off yet. And we're like going crazy for Jesus. And we're like, whoa, slow down there, super. And we just want to go crazy. And so we really feel like it's about what we offer this world. And and even some of us have had these prophetic words, like you're going to be a world changer. And so you're like a toddler getting that. And you're like, what does that even mean? I must, I got to get louder, and crazier. And I got to tell it like it is, which is. A little bit of a, a discouraging thing that so many Christians want to tell it like it is, because um, I feel like that's not necessarily what Jesus would do. I'm one of those guys, and she can vouch for me. Um, I have an affinity for watching Christian television, not because I'm blown away by it, and I'm not. I'm not going to bag on Christian TV all morning. But there's about 50 channels in a row on our on our uh, system where you can just go through, and some of them are like, I don't know why I, I stopped to watch them, but. I can't stop watching them, especially the ones that are super angry. She'll walk in the room. She'll be like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. And there's like four people in the church, and this one guy is super angry, and he's got another guy reading his Bible for him, and this guy hands him, and he is angry, and he's got to get the message out, and he's got to tell it like it is because the, God hates sinners, and, and and I can't stop. Like, I want to turn it. I can't stop. And then you go to the next channel, and they've already taken up four offerings, and you haven't even got to the channel yet. And they have their own Bibles that they wrote. And, and I don't know what it is, but I've always, like, I've always, in a weird way, appreciated like a negative tone to Christianity, because that's what I brought into it. And I think for a lot of us, God wants to cleanse that voice for us. Because when he asks us to do the big things, if that's his voice, we won't do it. And, Will Hyde, I've got a friend who, um, his, his dad, um, heard he was going to come to the church we're planning. And his question to him was, is he somebody who says it like it is? And, and my friend's like, well, I don't know, dad. And his dad's really angry. And, and he's one of those guys who walks into a room, he just calls 50 people out. It's anger. You've all met that guy that leaves like a wake of tears in his path because of, because of the gospel. Because he's got to share the gospel outside of the heart. And so I met with him and, he, he just kind of went right into it, and he was like, are you one of those guys that's going to tell it like it is? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. And then he was like, let me just ask you this. You know the, the passage in Matthew where one road is broad and many people are going astray, and one road is narrow. So he was like, are more people going to heaven or going to hell? And I didn't want to satisfy that. Like Something in me wanted to like interact with him because in biblically, Jesus, when he was asked a tough question, he would ask this awesomer question, like instantly. And it would blow everybody's minds. And everybody would like leave, like putting rocks down and like building stuff. And like, So I was like, I, I tried to do the same thing. And I know you guys heard me say this last week, you have to forgive me. But I was like, why, why do you ask that question? Like that was going to be the settler where he was like, he, we had to come to Jesus thing. We were dancing. He was like, because I want to know the answer. I wasn't prepared for the fallout. So, four hours later, on the back porch of a cabin, we've walked through. I mean, he's literally called me out three times, telling me I'm not going after Jesus. I know my heart's after Jesus. I just, I would go about it a different way. And at the end, the really interesting part happened. He said that he could never serve Jesus. After berating me for four hours, because Jesus is too angry at him. And he knows God called him to preach, but he could never. And I was like, well, slow down. What do you mean? What do you mean he's angry? He's like, I know we're supposed to love God, but it's bigger. I know God's, God loves us, but the big deal in Christianity is that we love him. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. So this is what... What we get from him and then the rest of our life is us for him. You'll never want to serve him. If you don't like totally get freaked out by the amount of what he pours into you initially. You're not going to want to serve him or love people. And it won't sound loving. It won't come across like anybody wants your Jesus. If it's always about this pressure to take him. But what if in that moment. Like he so freaks you out with the measure of his love that you didn't see coming, even though you grew up in church, but you still didn't see it coming, that everything changes. What if you have that moment where everything radically changes? What if you haven't? I think he wants you to. And I'm not a conference jumper like searching for these feelings. It's not at all what Christianity is about. But you have to understand if our God says he's Emmanuel, God with us, if there's not a moment where it's become so amazingly real and better than, stop. Back up. Let him be Emmanuel, God with you, for you first. It will be fun. It will be awesome. It will make you want to go to Spain when it doesn't make sense. It will make you quit a job where you make millions of dollars not right to make millions, but it sounds better if I say millions. We make a lot of money to making nothing, but then somehow in the past year it was the best year of our life. And we literally there were times we didn't have ramen noodle. We would have fought people for ramen noodles. <laughs> best year ever. Not even close. Not even a comparable second year, other than the day we got married, which was way better. This other year was amazing. And I think that you have to experience him like that, and then it just naturally is an outflow. So serving him and loving God is like, yes, I want to do that. Does that make sense? I want to read to you Romans 12 today. I'm going to read 18 verses. It's a lot, but um, stay with me. I like to do that. I've started to fall in love with just reading a large chunk of scripture and then watching people fall asleep, which is – I get to wake you back up. So Romans 12. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving... Let him serve if it's teaching let him teach if it's encouraging let him encourage if it's contributing to the needs of others let him give generously if it's leadership let him govern diligently if it's showing mercy let him do it cheerfully love must be sincere hate what is evil and cling to what is good be devoted to one another in brotherly love honor one another above yourselves never be lacking in zeal but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. A lot of scripture there. It's become one of my favorite passages, and I'm about to share with you why. But I love how it starts, and this is where we're going to begin. It starts by how he approaches us. It starts by saying, I urge you, therefore, brethren, brothers, in view of God's mercy. So right here, I just want to stop. Everybody say in view. Awesome. So just a question for you. What does that tone sound like when you read it, right? Like this picture we have of Jesus that talks to us. When you read that, I'll tell you how I used to read it. This is how I used to read it. Josh, like in view of how good I've been to you, don't you think you should offer all? Seriously. Like this weight that says in view of how like awesome I've been to you. What if the voice of God sounds like that to you always? What if it's like this? What if it's like, uh, like Steve was praying earlier, like the prodigal son reaching his father and his father weeping? What if, he's, what if he's looking at you right now in this room and he's saying, in view of this mercy I've given you, offer yourself. So, so I, want to, I want to just do something with you. That's cool. We're going to be like a youth group real quick, okay? Can you just put your hand in front of your face? Some of you guys have done this twice now. It's awkward the second time. Now imagine in your hand that you're a three-inch tall version of yourself. Be creative with it. It's okay. And you're looking at yourself. What faces do you make at yourself? Listen to me. As you have this here, this is what the Lord wants you to do. He wants you to put in your mind the moment that this little guy experienced this measure of grace that blew him away. You can put your hands down. He wants the first thing for you to do is remember Remember the moment. Yeah, it's universally Christ we know what he did. He came back. We've seen the Easter plays. We've sung all of casting crown songs. We understand it. He came back. He died. He paid the price. He had a covenant with God. We we're able to come in. But now he's asking you to remember the moment it happened for you. Can you remember? Can you remember the first moment where it was like, "I'm all in on this." Where you said, "It's not my mom and dad's religion anymore. I'm all in on this." Do you remember that moment? Like some of you have these radical stories. I, I encourage you to blog about it. Your moment. I, I remember for me, I was a drug addicted teen. I had just gotten back from rehab, a literal rehab in Utah, and I'm, I come home and I meet this amazing family, and they give me a CD called Jars of Clay. Who, who remembers Jars of Clay? Right. The first CD they made was like amazing. It's like from the angels actually sang it. So, and it was, I didn't like listening to Christian music, so I put it out. I wasn't expecting much. I laid down in my bed at night and tears is one of those moments for me like I can't theologically like put a framework to it but I weeped in my bed all night long the best I can singing love song for a savior if you know that song like just crying like hoping nobody would walk in because I've never been in this state weeping a puddle on my pillow just overwhelmed for the first time and I grew up in the largest church in Georgia the first time I'm sitting here feeling like I feel like I get it at this moment. And also connected to that for me was this idea that I would probably do anything if this is him, for him. Beforehand, I wouldn't even consider going to mission field for what? Be a preacher that looks awful. Do this looks terrible. This version, this version that became real for me of Jesus, I would, I'd be a youth pastor for 10 years and not make any money. I'd go to a Christian school when I don't even have a high school education. I'd go to seminary when I, I I'd do all that for this version. And he asks us the first thing before he says, give all yourself, which is a message we've heard preached a million times. You give more to God and then we leave upset that we never will. He says first in view, do you even understand who I am? Have you even tasted and seen the goodness that I'm trying to give you? Can you grasp it? Because it's got to happen. And then with that in view, with this understanding of how amazingly amazing he is, he says, offer all. This is what we've all heard. Offer every part of you for him. And this is actually taken from Leviticus chapter 1. And in Leviticus chapter 1, it's talking about a sin offering and how to do it correctly. So it walks you through eight eight verses of make sure you do this with the animal and this with the animal and don't cut it right here, the animal. And it gets to verse 8 and then they put it on the altar and everything has to be done exactly like it was said to be done. And if it's done that way, they light it on fire, consumed. And if it's done exactly right, it provides and creates an aroma Pleasing to God, it says in, in chapter in verse nine. So it actually creates a smell which baffles me that makes God happy. But if it's not consumed completely, it creates a smell that's detestable. Which for me is like it stirs up I'm a terrible human now, it's awful, I shouldn't even but but the purpose of this was to create peace between the worshiper and God. If done correctly. So curveball to your theology. What if all this time he's not been demanding obedience from you. But demanding that you see that he wants to give you peace. For the first time in your life. What if he's not actually casting all the negative things about you at you. But saying please bring it all to me. The relationships. Everything. The addictions. All of it. Because for you son, daughter. I want to give peace In a way that you've never felt it before. What if it's more about that than we're not good enough, we're not giving enough? I'm just going to say this. the we're not giving enough to him message doesn't hold legs for anybody. It's the same in our actual relationships. The The people we'll die for are the ones that have loved us selflessly. And until we get that version of Jesus, we can scream from the mountaintops, give more, be more, do better, be a better group of believers. It won't matter. Until we taste and see this thing that is different than every other kind of love on the planet. And when that happens, we become freaks for him. Jesus freaks. Another old school Christian song reference. See what I'm saying? DC Talk is They're coming out in a minute. I didn't tell you they're coming. Just kidding. So God gave me this illustration a while back. It's, it's a little gross, but it helps me. Um, so, we like to go to parks uh, where we have leisure activities as a family. Sometimes we'll walk together. We'll eat sandwiches. We'll put our feet in the water. Our kids love to do that. There's nothing special about that. We're creek walkers. I like creeks. Um, but at parks, there's always like disgusting bathroom situations. And so, there's like porta potties, which is never a good thing. So I've tried to figure out a way like to get in a porta potty where I don't have to use any actual things. I can just like open it with my so I get in one there and I'm, I just have to go the I won't say that, and can't, I just but even still you're standing in there and it's all there, like it's 400 peoples, yes, and so I'm sitting there and I'm like, this is disgusting, can I, can I do this, can I get through this, and I look up and on the wall there's uh, like a pine, a giant pine smelling thing. Which evidently offsets the awfulness of the experience. But what happened for me is that these two smells blended. So it's like pine poo. (laughs) Which actually doesn't, it actually hurts the experience. And also from that moment forward, anytime I ever smell a similar smell of pine, all I can think about is the porter potty and 400 people that I've never met. It's like Pavlov's dog. The experience stays with us. And here's what I feel like Jesus was sharing with me about this and about us and about us as Christians in our communities that that when people that when people we introduce ourselves as vintage 242 in our community and we're here because we believe in the church and acts and we're going to we're going to serve meals together, eat together. And if it doesn't jive necessarily with the mind of Christ and how selfless he was and how loving he was, it's a little bit like those people, when they meet us, step into like a spiritual porter potty. I just said spiritual porter potty. I've never said that before. And they leave the experience confused because it's like these two things that shouldn't be together. And I don't hear the voice of God now saying, and stop being dumb Christians. I hear him saying, you've never really tasted and seen or you'd want to give differently. So you'd want to give fully because the world is not looking for more Christians who have it together and who know how to separate bad people and Christians. The world is looking for somebody who loves differently. The world is looking for somebody who loves, as the term in the Greek New Testament says, agape, that the world will know who we are by the way that we love each other, agape inserted, which means how well we serve each other and hold others more important than ourselves. And so this idea that this person who's in a different class and this person who's rich and this person who's poor, that when they come together, there's no distinction is biblical vintage 242 idea of church. There is no better than or worse than the pastor is not more anointed than you back there. There's this mutual understanding that the whole body is anointed. And no, we're not trying to pull you out from communities. We're trying to put you in communities because all of you are sent and anointed. Whether you're a greeter or you're doing that or you're worshiping, you're all here to serve. They're not here to serve us. Sometimes I even hate standing on a stage when I'm speaking because God told me when I get in front of a group, I'm here to serve you. And This is nothing against you. everybody's got a stage. But we're all here to serve. And when people walk into a community that serves self selfless, selfless, it changes everything. It flips the system, and I just went on a huge rabbit trail, but that was a fun rabbit, and I love him. So we know what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like an outhouse, but what does it look like? Pastor Tom at Riverstone, who's become like one of the most amazing mentors in my life, he said that um, he always uses this phrase, um, are you tracking, track with Jesus? And at first I was like, what does that even mean, track with Jesus? And I pretended like I knew it. I was like, yes. But I don't know what it means. And so he took it from an understanding that when deer or mountain goat, biblically, it talks about, you know, when they get on a mountain, though, you can even look on National Geographic. They will climb up a mountain that they should not be on. You've ever seen this happen where a goat is climbing up something like if he even like breathes wrong, he's falling. But they're they're instinctively, the way that they're made is their front two feet will land on on any point on the mountain. And no matter where those two points are, the back two feet will land in the exact spot. I mean, not at the same time, but they will move. Does that make sense? So they're steady. And so what does it look like to offer all of ourselves where it's not blended? It looks like he leads everything which is why it's important to view him correctly because wherever his front two feet go you're you're happy to go there It's not like, oh, this is going to be awful. You're happy to go there because if he's leading and you know his character, it will by far be the best for you. It may not be happiness and you may be persecuted, but it'll be the place you walk in joy, peace and righteousness and hope and excitement and adventure. And it'll be where calling comes to life if you follow him leading. Now, you can tell me when you've stepped into relationships, teens, that, you know, he didn't lead you into. You didn't experience peace. You wanted to hold on to it. But why? Because you thought it would be something and it never ended up being it, right? Like it was always awful. And it never made you happy. And then it ended up like there's divisions and derisions and you don't want to talk to that person anymore. And we hold on to this, this area that we don't want. We don't even have peace and we're fighting for it. And he says, wait a second. If you slow down and watch where my feet go, I'll give you what you're, what you're looking for that you don't even know you need. You won't even understand it at first at times, but then you'll have it. And it'll be because I led you into that. And it's just, that's what offering all of yourself looks like to him. It's not making your own plans. Be planners, but him leading. It's not trying to figure it all out. It's not falling for the American dream as well, where you're supposed to be the next most important amazing thing. Like even in our churches, it's permeated. We like to elevate people over other people. That's not biblical. If he came to serve, if he metaphorically... Sits down and looks at his disciples while they're telling him, you're not washing my feet. And he says, you don't even understand. If he does that, we're to do that to everybody, to each other. It's a whole different message. But we're going there. Um, so so that's what it looks like. And When we started at Riverstone, Pastor Mark Nicewinder, who's just a really amazing man. All the men there are amazing. I don't even think they're from this planet, honestly. But he gave me a quote that we both cried when we first got it. And it's this, if you'll bring this up. The economy of the kingdom of God is quite simple. Every new step in the kingdom costs us everything we have gained to that date. Every time we cross a new threshold, it costs us everything we now have. Every new step may cost us all the reputation and security we have accumulated up to that point. It costs us our life. A disciple is always ready to take the next step. If there is anything that characterizes Christian maturity, it is the willingness to become a beginner again for Jesus Christ. It is the willingness to put our hand in his hand and say, I'm scared to death, but I'll go with you. You're the pearl of great price. Boom. (laughs) And that changed our life because we finally felt like we understood what it looked like to do what he called us to do. And we're doing it right now. And I believe he wants some of you to know in this place right now that he wants to start to give you dreams he wants you to start to live in what he's called you to do. He wants you, he wants you to be excited about living for him. This idea that he only wants us to do things we don't want to do, that's not from him. You'll do stuff you don't want to do, but you'll have that excitement. And so I want to read you Romans 12 Romans twelve two, the next, next scripture. This says, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. I just want to clear this up. When I first read this passage when I was younger, this to me was the passage that like, preachers use. You will not be like this world anymore. And so in the denomination we grew up in, like there's four or five things you would never do. right? The, if you did them, that meant you were of the world and probably demon-possessed. And they were these. One, you never drink. Two, you'd absolutely never smoke. Three, you don't dance or have sexual relationships. And if you did any of those things, you were outside the pattern of God. I actually went to a Christian school, which is a great Christian school in college, Lee University. This is tricky for me to make, make sense, but if you, if you received 99 or 100 demerits at this school, they would kick you out of school. And you, if you ever, were ever caught dancing, you would get 99 demerits. Just dancing. I was, like, I was wondering, like if David went to school, David from the Bible, at Lee, he would have been kicked out like eight times. I'm pretty sure he was naked at times, too, which I'm sure would not mesh. So so I carried this into this. I carried this list of what not to do. The patterns of this world are not what our youth pastors taught us and what I taught our youth. The patterns of this world are this idea that you're first. It's this idea that you control your own life. It's this idea of success and consumerism and be the best And us and them. And they're bad and we're good. It's Pharisees modern day. It's classes separated. And religious people don't like to hear that because it's much easier to pick four or five things that we don't do and then say that we're good. But what if what we have to do is have a renewed mind, which is the mind of Christ? What looks so different? It looks like you serve the poor. You love the widow. You're with the person who is broken hearted, even when you want to get to lunch. You're at the hospital with the mom whose son. What if the renewed mind is actually all about humility and he wants it dead in the center of our culture? This is a passage of scripture that um, I think will help. Maybe if you'll pull this up, it's Philippians. Your attitude should be the same Of that as Jesus Christ. Also said there is the mind of Christ in one translation. Who being in very nature God. Did not consider equality with God. Something to be grasped. But made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient. That. Sometimes I wonder if Jesus were to enter some of our like Christian conferences, like he, would, he wouldn't even have a place there. I said this in the first, like, go to a conference, most, most of the ones I went to, there's some that all the important people sit up front, everybody's got a great parking space except for those who aren't as important. And there's this idea that we're supposed to be served. When, when did that start? There's this idea that we're better than them out there. When did that start? I was, at a, I was at a conference once at our church a long time ago, and this guy preached this really amazing message on prayer. And I, I met him in the bathroom. which is oh, don't ever have like a first meeting in a bathroom, dudes. And there's all kinds of dude laws in a bathroom. You don't catch eye contact. You get in and get out. You definitely don't talk while in act. Nothing like that. But I was like, I'm going in. I'm going in. And I, I looked at him and I was like, man, that was awesome. I was like just fresh into youth ministry. I was like, really awesome message you preached. He didn't even acknowledge me and he wasn't following dude laws he just he looked at me and left the bathroom i was like this is so awkward now i'm going to see him again out there and there's this idea that's permeated us that being important is the most important thing i have friends in ministry that have done a lot of successful things that whenever they get like a tweet about them you guys understand twitter right they retweet it, a compliment. I know that sounds crazy, like, yeah, that's not a big deal. But, like, imagine walking, like, if you're all my followers on Twitter and somebody in the back room gave me a compliment, I walked out and I was like, this dude back here said I was so awesome at this. Like, you guys would be like, is this guy really going to sit here and talk about what he's good at? How did this, like, how is this able to permeate the Twitter sphere? where in ministry we can just brag about everything we're doing good? It's so ingrained in us to be important. And that's so the patterns of this world. I mean, Jesus' own people didn't want him to come into town on a donkey. They weren't happy about it. Jesus' own people were like, "You're supposed to be on a tank capping folks right now." And he's like, "You don't understand. I came to do it differently." And he's waiting for a church and a group of people who do it differently, who love the unlovable, who sit with the unhearable. Who's there with the nasty and the broken and the prostitute. This is what I've said about our church. Which is why I'm glad you prayed this. I want there to be a guy that's a business owner in Atlanta. And a guy that just had a failed marriage. And I won't say that because I would get in trouble for that. And a prostitute that just... And all these people in our group. And for somebody to walk in and have to deal with like, What in the world is going on in this group? Because that's the kingdom of God. It's all level like he said. None of us are Jesus but Through the body, we're loved to fullness. I just love that about our God, that he would enter and ask us to approach that way, and then he would give us his mind. So I just jumped again. So he wants to change the patterns of this world to the minds of Christ. Imagine if you, like, like just picture Jesus walking down the street in these days, and, like, you had his inner monologue. There was a show on Saturday Night Live a long time ago that was the guy that didn't have an inner monologue. He just spoke what he was thinking loudly. And imagine if that was happening with Jesus, like, a lot of us kind of feel like maybe he would just be walking around just shouting who he was. But I, I feel like there's three things that would continually permeate his brain. The first one would be, whatever Father wants me to do, I'm doing it. So he's all, And you always hear him in Scripture saying, yes, Father, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. The others would be this, and I'll just throw them at you. I believe everything that he would think would, would be about loving people, about loving his Father, and about building and making disciples. I believe actually every God-ordained dream has those elements in it. Loving people, loving God, and disciples being made. I believe that is the gospel. That is exactly the gospel that all of us were created to do. So if you're ever praying about what God's speaking for you to do, measure it up against those three things. Are you loving God? Are you loving people? And are, is it about making disciples? Because I think if we got into his mind, that is what we would hear ringing through his brain. And it causes, I think, when we have this mind shift, for there to be this, like, place of freedom for us. I remember I was at a service once at a church real near here before we were getting married. Um, and, and my family is, was a broken family growing up. And so I always had this fear as a kid that when I was going to get married that I was going to have a divorce. And I was scared to death of that. Like, I know God redeems. And he can redeem. But for me, I was like, when we started dating, it, it, it should have been this, like, really beautiful time. And there were moments that I shared with her. Um, I didn't tell you I was sharing this, but it's Okay. Um I was like just overwhelmed with weight and depression and like oh my gosh what am I doing this what if I make the wrong decision I was at this church and I remembered I was praying about it and I felt the peace of God take everything literal like a it was a little bit like a switch like like a switch like took this weight that was it was legitimate turmoil it was so much turmoil that i was like talking to people i shouldn't be talking to about it i couldn't keep my mouth shut and then there's this transfer where god gave me this amount of peace and i think when we start to sense and be near him and he gives us his mind as we're walking with him and have submitted all we get to this place of freedom and some of us in this place we make dumb decisions we feel free right we've walked through the idea we don't have to perform anymore i had a friend um who was a close friend of mine for a while. He was the first, like, pseudo-famous Christian friend I had. I'm not going to give you his name. It wouldn't impress you. But for me, it was like, it was a cool thing for me to have a kind of famous friend. Because kind of famous Christians are a super big deal. I don't know if you knew that. So we went to um, a conference, Catalyst Conference, and we were listening to the, the preachers. And he looked at me and legitimately said, I'm totally better than these guys. said that. And at first when I was telling this story, I, told the story before, I was like offended that he would say that, but I realized a while later the same thing that he was speaking, I wanted more than anything. I wanted to be better than those guys because a part of that means that that's what, I'm, that's what God called me to do, be better than everybody else, and he's not asking us to do that. And so when we receive this freedom that many of you have received in this room, this chapter I'm about to read the rest of it to you again, it explains to us how to now live the real life with jesus that's not about us and so i want to just share this with you if you can pull up this next passage for me and i'm almost finished it says for by the grace given to me i say to every one of you do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with these with the measure of faith god has given you you can go to the next one actually Just as each of us has one body with many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, serve. Teaching, teach. If it's encouraging, encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, give. If it's leadership, govern diligently. Showing mercy, do it cheerfully. And so what we see here is he tells us to walk through this thing where we say, I understand your mercy. I'm going to offer all. I know that it's not about me. Now what? Pastor Tom has these two things that he said when he was in ministry at University of Georgia. It was the only two questions people really ever asked him. It was one, how do I know who I'm going to marry? And two, what will I do with my life? All the things we think about when we're young. The only problem with that is when you get those two things walking out Christianity, what's left after that? What, what's the essence of your Christianity when those two things are answered? So he said the question that no one ever asked that he wished was asked more is how do I wake up and live daily for Christ? How do I just get through 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. at night? How do I do that? He said nobody ever asked that because nobody wants to know that. We want to get these things. And then when we're done with that, oh, well. So this passage to me when I was studying, I'm about to read you 9 through 18. I was actually studying this and it said how to daily live in a a book that I was reading. And I knew that it was it was for people who are looking for what they're trying to do with their life and who to marry and all these other things. God's not asking you to have those questions answered yet. He's asking you to understand what to do until they come. Does that make sense? Because if you get those things too early. It won't help you or anybody else. And so he wants you to understand what this whole thing has always been about, what it's always been about in the process of submission, what it's always been about in it not being selfless. It's always been about you. It's always been about how well you'll love this person over here or how much time you'll give to them when they're in need. Or how well you'll walk over and encourage that person. So it says if, gift, if your gift's encouragement, you don't need to wait on an opportunity for Steve to get up here and encourage. You need to walk around to people and encourage them. If your gift is prophesying, you don't need to wait till someone hears what you're saying. In fact, for most of you who have that gift, it's probably better to just do it one-on-one. Whatever your gift is, it's alive in here, now, and later in the week, and at Walmart, And at your job. Because this whole thing was always about this coming together. Because they will want what we have by looking at how well we love one another. And if you're loving each other this agape way, people freak out for it. And so it says, if you'll bring up verse 9. So it says, love must be sincere. You really can't fake sincere love. For like a week you can fake sincere love. You can't fake selfless love because if it is fake, you can't be selfless for too long. Like a selfish person, it's like awful to be selfless for two weeks. If you it's you can't fake it. So, you, you know, if you are and you know, if you're not, if other people are not as important as you, if they're just like stepping stools for you to get. People see that. So love has to be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love and honor one another above yourself, not just the speaker or the pastor. Honor the lady in the back that prays as you walk in. Honor the lady that's never said a word right here. Honor the person next door that's never heard about your Jesus. Hand out honor. That's, such, that's like the, 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 the money of people hearing Jesus. If you can love them correctly and honor them and honor each other as well with fervor serving the Lord. You can go to the next part. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. And do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you... Live at peace with everyone. And so today I just want to challenge you. Many of you are still at the first part. How is he approaching you? How did he approach you? He's asking you to approach other people the way he's approaching you. In your affliction when he wasn't, when you felt alone, he's with you. When you celebrated, he was with you. When you're in pain, he's with you. When you struggle with your identity, He's with you. When that family or that whatever is better than you, He's with you. He's with you. He approaches you. I had a thing called Sozo done to me. Have you guys, anybody ever heard of Sozo done at Riverstone? Anybody not know what Sozo is? Just a few of you. So Sozo is an experience of prayer where you receive freedom for some things in your past. I needed like eight of them for the, the amount that I accrued. And so I met with a guy named Ben, um, who's become a friend of mine. And he kind of walked me through what Sozo was. And I sat down, and I knew I was there for two reasons. One, there were some just like nasty things in my life I needed to be honest with somebody about. And another one is I was a deeply performance-based person. So everything I wanted to win. Um, and so I sat there, and I prayed with him. He was like, all right, now I want you to picture... Um, um, Connecting with Jesus. And picture Jesus in your mind. This is part of Sozo. And so I closed my eyes, and it was a little awkward at first, but then I had the picture of Jesus. And, and Jesus was, um, he, he looked Swedish, and he had a purple robe. He was exactly the stereotypical Jesus. And, but I was, I was crouched down like this. And when I was in rehab, they had taught me how to make a fire like that. You guys, some of you know. Um, and over here, he said, where's Jesus? And Jesus was over there, and he was watching me work. Which is not a big deal. And he's like, is anything else in this vision? And I was like, um, there's a crown of thorns in the vision. And, and if it was me interpreting this, I would have put those crown of thorns on Jesus. Because those two things are, they go together, right? But he didn't. He said, where's the thorns? And I was like, man, they're just hovering. And he said, all right. Um, and he interacted with me about what the thorns meant. And he was like, the thorns represent persecuting yourself. Jesus wants to come and grab the thorns and throw them into the lake. So stay with me. Jesus walks over in my mind's eye, grabs the thorn, and throws it in the lake. And that was already enough for me to be like crying out of three eyes and I only had two. And he said, now, what is Jesus doing? And the next picture I had was Jesus had his arm around me. I was his buddy, literally. That's what I call my son, buddy. And he was showing me this vast expanse of what he wanted to lead me into. And he was excited to be with me. And He was not angry with me. And just in that moment, my whole image of who he was was shattered. And I believe in here today, he wants some of you to allow him to approach you the way that he wants to, not the way that you think he is. And I believe he comes so differently that when you taste and see of him, it changes everything. And not because he's he's learned how to be extremely mean and make you, but because something about it even you couldn't see coming. It was so good that even you couldn't see it coming the way it came. And it has to be like that at one point for you. And there has to be a foundation where he was that good because he is Emmanuel God with us, not separated from us. He came to be with us. He came to sit next to prostitutes. He came to sit next to a woman caught in adultery, next to a man who couldn't get into a pool, next to people who doubted, next to disciples who didn't believe who he was and they were the closest to him. He came to be with them. And he changed everything by this interaction. And I believe today, Harvest, if you want to go ahead and, if this is what we're doing again, uh, worship. I'm just going to pray that he leads. uh, And actually, I'm going to do that. I I want you guys, if you wouldn't mind, just close your eyes this morning. And I'm going to just ask you to have a little, maybe just like a little mini sozo. It's not that, but just, we just give an invitation to the Holy Spirit right now. And I want you to do that. I want you to, to invite him to walk up to you and say what he would say. Open your heart to say, what, what, are, you, what are you trying to say to me right now? We know biblically that his sheep hear his voice. And so he wants to talk to you. So, Father, right now, I just pray that your Holy Spirit's presence would just permeate this room and that there would be hearts that come to life. There would be someone whose view of you has just been so distorted that they feel like all you've been asking them to do is like earn what you gave. I pray that they would hear the voice that says, You cannot earn. It has to be a gift. And I'm giving it to you. Let them receive the gift. And I just I believe in in faith that God's going to speak legitimate things to people. He's going to speak dreams. He's going to reaffirm some things he spoke in the past to you, and he's going to remind you of it right now. He's going to speak into your identity. He wants to plant hope, peace, joy. So we just invite these things, Holy Spirit. We thank you for your presence, which is so good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.